remove this. Well, I even remember the conversation that we had having breakfast. And I did not know Pastor Warbington. And I love the way God deals with people through other people. And I just looked into his eyes and I said, I've never felt anybody so hurt in a long time like you are. And no, I had no idea. And I still don't know what happened. And I, I, I don't care to know. I just knew it was the right time at the right place. And he trusted me enough that when I spoke to him, he opened his heart up and he listened. And I pray that from that point onwards, I prayed that life was going to change. Even though I didn't know, but God knew. So for him to be with us was such a, it was such a pleasure. It was, we, we, my, my sons and my daughter are like, can I, I'm, I'm going to say what my kids were like, tell Micah hello. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, because you are Micah to us. He was not, um, at the time, he was an evangelist. He was not the pastor of the church in Lone Oak. Does anybody remember me being here years ago? One person, here you go. <laughs> but I was here. I remember being here with the Hackett's. And then there was Joel and, is it Jonal and, 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 and who? Tackett's, I mean. It's like, I haven't seen them for years. The Hackett's, the Tackett's, it's all the same to me. <laughs> And then Jonathan, and, and then, I mean, I had an awesome time here, so I'm expecting even better tonight. So, again, thank you for inviting us. The Global Missions Director snatched us this morning. We can't argue with him. He's the guy who gets me all my services. So we was with the O'Connells this morning, and it was, it was a, we had a blowout service. Uh, but I apologize if we were supposed to be here twice, but he was like, you're coming to the buses, so we did this morning. And then we went to have a Mexican food, and then we had to run home, and I absolutely smell like I'm still in the Mexican restaurant right now. I'm standing there going, it's me. So, <laughs> and from Liverpool, we greet you. Um, to say that there's a couple of young men that came out of Liverpool, us Matura people might remember them, You don't remember them? You don't remember them. But you're lying in church. You just said you don't. Now you're saying you do. Oh, God. So from Liverpool, to, to, uh, from us to you, he loves you, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And with a love like that, you know you should be glad. Jesus. This is one of the songs we sing. I want to hold your hand. No, we don't. <laughs> help. I need somebody's help. But not just anybody's help. You know, I need someone. Help. I wonder what they were singing about. All you need is. All you need is Jesus. God is love. All you need is God. And that's what somehow in these men, they went off into darkness and then darkness overtook them and they actually have a huge plaque in Liverpool that says the four men that changed the world. So I'm going to say this, Liverpool Church, now I'm going to be bold and courageous, but if four men can change the world, what can an apostolic church do? 
When 12 men can turn the world upside down, oh my word, we can do anything for God before us. So from Liverpool, can't buy me love. Maestro, I'm going to play my video. It's for me. <laughs> Rachel, sorry. Oh, that's me there. I look a bit different these days from that picture. We arrived here in 2001 uh, to a very, very small congregation of eight people, uh, eight ladies actually. Um, the building was in ill repair. In 2008, we built a brand new church building. Uh, I believe that the first one in Europe, brand newly built. Um, thank you to Texas Church in the day, uh, they brought the whole crew over to help us. Since then, we've had over 450 people baptized and filled. Uh, that has been over the 21 year period that we have been here. We actually have uh, a relationship with the neighborhood. We provide a food bank here. We provide counseling here, debt management, uh, alcohol, drug uh, addiction counseling. Salvation has definitely been preached in Liverpool. Recently, we've just planted a door to work just outside of Manchester in the city of Preston. We have a door to work we've started over in a place called West Kirby, it's a small village. Uh, we have a future north of us, uh, another uh, preaching place that we are looking at in a place called Crosby. So as we are here in Liverpool, we are looking for more and more places to go out and preach the gospel. Over the last 18 months, myself and my wife have been down in London. Um, what an incredible opportunity it is to reach all walks of life. We'd love to be able to build a college of ministry. It's been a vision of ours. My prayer is that there will be a day and a time very soon that we will find a building down there and begin to start a college. Recently, in November of last year, we went into the Golan Heights and we renovated a medical building for the Megan David Dam. MDA is the National Ambulance Service for Israel. What an incredible impact that we had. The people absolutely could not believe Christians are going in, spending their own funds, uh, airfares, hotels, food, to actually help them. We need help to do this, and we've got more and more projects opening up ahead of us. I've already secured this year the uh, MDA building in Jerusalem. Uh, and that will be probably by September when we finish deputation. We will organize the next trip and we will be in the middle of Jerusalem. So we are looking for sponsors. We are looking for help in any way, physically or even financially. Last July, I had the privilege, the honor of having breakfast with Benjamin Netanyahu. One of the times I was talking to him, I really felt the Lord lead me to tell him, you will be again the Prime Minister of Israel. Last November, actually we were there when he was voted in to be the new Prime Minister. When speaking to Benjamin Netanyahu, I explained to him who we were. When I explained to him that we follow the God of Israel, we believe in the God of Israel, Yeshua. In the picture, he turns towards me and asks my name. I tell him, my name is John Hemus, I'm the pastor of the Apostolic Church of Liverpool. 
And he looked at me after I explained to him why we want to go into Israel and help. And he said, I will never forget your name. My answer to him was, I will not forget your name either. Thank you for the privilege of being able to share our burdens with you. Liverpool, as we continue to grow. London and the other daughter works as we are expanding the works out of here. Israel, been an absolute privilege to be able to go into this nation. God's people, God's love for his people, being Christians in the midst of Israel and helping in our skill sets as an absolute honor. Please, in any way you can, come and help us in Liverpool, come and help us with the daughter works, and even come and help us in Israel. God bless you all, and thank you. You still look the same on that picture, but I don't. <laughs> See, Pastor Warbington, that's what happens. That's when really early days of being a pastor. My had dark brown hair, it was thick. Be kind to your pastor, will you? <laughs> Man, I've a, I love being a pastor, it's just the people. <laughs> It's like, folks, we're in the kingdom of God here. Peace and joy and righteousness and gladness. And we're supposed to have a great life. Stop bringing up the past and living in it and allow God to be God. It's a, it's a, great, it's a great help to the preacher. Because I, I've, I started to call myself a caretaker and a fireman. I was putting fires out and came for it. And I'm like, woo. So look at this. <laughs> See? If you look at my wife, you can see who takes all the burden and the, and the pressure. So, darling, if you would come and greet these precious people. She speaks funny. I am actually speaking. I'm, this is not, I'm not putting this on. <laughs> this is real. If you can understand her, you're doing well. Good evening. Praise the Lord. I sound more like you. I am from America, but I will tell you... They love your accent in England. They love my accent. I'm not kidding. They're like, oh, I could listen to you talk all day. Yeah. <laughs> See, it works both ways. But if you have a Southern accent, then you're doing even better. They love the Southern accent, don't they, Micah? Oh, sorry, Pastor Micah, sorry. <laughs> so this is a whole new role for us. <laughs> Um, for those of you who have never been there, and even though we both speak a form of English, it is a completely different culture, completely. We do most things differently than how we do them in America. Um, for me, an American, I get frustrated. He says we're all spoiled in America. That's what he says. But, you know, we're, we're, we're raised in an environment that we know if there is a quicker, faster, more efficient way, Americans are all over it. I mean, that's how we are. Well, it does not work like that over there. They're, you know, they're like, why would we change it? We've been doing it like this for 500 years. It works. It's good. 
So it gets a bit frustrating. Um, we use a lot of different words over there. Um, we call tacos, tacos. Pasta is pasta. My garage is my garage. The sidewalk is the path. The trunk of the car is the boot, and the hood of the car is the bonnet. We don't have yogurt, we have yogurt. We just have a lot of different words. Um, the trash is the bin. Um, we do not, I know we're in church, but we don't use restroom. And when the Americans are like, do you have a restroom? They're like, what, do you need to rest? Do you need to lay down? They say it like it is, the toilet. That's how they do it. So it's very, very different. Um, for those of you that know any kind of history, you'll know that the United Kingdom, England, Scotland, Wales, sent out so many evangelists and missionaries, you know, over the last 400 years. And they took the gospel around the world. Well, now the United Kingdom is void of the gospel, of the word of God. They don't live like they, well, they don't know the word of God. It's no longer a part of their life. It's very, very unusual to meet anyone who goes to church. They don't go. Even the denominational churches, I mean, they're just closing like crazy. They don't go to church. And more people believe in aliens than Jesus. That's where we're at in the United Kingdom. And I, I don't like saying this, but the truth is, every time I come back to America, I see us going down the same path. We really are. And please don't kid yourself and think it won't happen here. Or it won't happen in this part of America because it's happening. You know, my husband often says the world is following the word of God. What scripture says will happen. And we've got to ask ourselves, are we following? Are we following what we're supposed to be doing, what the word of God tells us? So when things get overwhelming. I mean, I get overwhelmed if I read too much news of things that are happening around the world. Even 10 years ago, you couldn't have imagined it would be like this. And you look at the world and it's like, God, really? Come on, make a move. But we are his representatives. I don't know why he chose to use us with all our faults and failings, but that's how he's designed it. So we have a job to do. So thank you so much for having us, and please keep us in your prayers. Thank you. Thank you, baby. Did you understand her? Yes. <laughs> She's telling you the truth. The English are going to say something else. 
And she goes, like what? Oh, that's good. And I'm like, oh my word. But I get it when I come here, so I, I, I enjoy it. Uh, but I do say to the Americans that we do speak English. And you guys are trying to speak English. Bit of a difference. So when I start saying, how y'all doing? That's about as far as I'm going to get with my American accent. That's it. Y'all. So y'all have a wonderful time, y'all, tonight. <laughs> oh dear, I'm going to get myself into trouble. So, and my wife is very correct. Uh, our, our nation has definitely sunk into the mire. Um, it, it, listen, uh, a few years ago, Easter, the Church of England did a census of how many people went to church at Easter. Not Christmas or at Easter. The actual Church of England calculated 695,000 people. That is 1% of the nation went to the Church of England at Easter. Okay? We are in the right place at the right time, primed for revival. We're in one of the most broken areas of England. Liverpool's a tough, tough, tough city. But God has placed us in his mercy for these broken people. And I am now looking at the Lone Oak missionaries. So welcome, Lone Oak missionaries. Do your job. Go and reach the lost. Go and pray for the sick. Go and visit the elderly and the broken. That's who you are to this area. I might be in England, but you're here. And I'm now looking at the missionaries. So bless your missionaries. It's fantastic to meet fellow missionaries. So next time I come back through here, this place, you'll have the walls knocked down because you're going to need more space. Go and preach the gospel. It's that simple. You're the missionaries here, so welcome. <laughs> I'm going to just, if you allow me just for a few minutes, I do have a message I believe that is going to be very fitting and pertaining to this evening. So if you would stand with me, I'm going to turn to the book of Genesis, start in verse, uh, chapter 28, verse 10. Are we there, Rachel? Ooh. And I will read in the King James. Because my these and thous and doest and whatever you are, they're real. <laughs> so Jacob went out from Bathsheba and went towards Haram. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. And lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and beheld a ladder set upon the earth and on the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee and thy seed shall all... The families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful, how awesome is this place. This is none other but the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. 
Father, before we take our seats, if we would just lift up our hearts once more in this sanctuary, lift up your voice, bless him, love him, and thank him once more. If there's anything within us, Father, there will be a hindrance between you and I. Take the call that is in front of you on that altar of heaven. Come down here, let the angels swiftly come into this place. Place those coals upon our lips. And as those coals, God, will begin to purge and take things out of us, Father, and cleanse us and purge us so that that our words will be the words of heaven, holy words, righteous words, things that only you could speak through us, God. As I preach this evening, Father, use this vessel of clay. Take this clay tongue and these lips and minister to these precious people in this building this evening. So we all say together, amen, amen. and amen. God bless you and thank you for standing in respect of the Word of God. I'm going to continue reading to verse 22. To verse 22. And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows and set it up for a... I want to hear you say it. No, I know what it says. I'm preaching it. It's up there. <laughs> he set it up for a what? A pillar. I'm going to make sure we're on the right page. What's the little fluff, softy thing you put, uh, what you, what you put your head on? A pillow. This is a what? A pillar. I have never slept on a brick before in my life, but the man that night had slept on stones. He used them as a pillar, pillow. But what he did, he recognized that night that where he was, was the house of God. And he said, I didn't even recognize what was going on here. And he said, this is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. What he did, and I'm going to give you a quick picture of where he was. He was on the run from his brother. This was a lying little cheating thief. Can I take my coat off? I need to get rid of the, uh, the onion smell. And the... No, I'm, I'm, jo I'm joking. Put it outside and hang it up somewhere, will you? But I am getting warm now, so. He was on the run from his brother. He had stole his brother's birthright, cheated him out of that, and then stole the older brother's blessing from the father before he passed away. He came after him to kill him. He was not just trotting away thinking, oh, got... he was running for his life. The lying little thief was going to be killed by his own brother because of what he had done to him. This was not really a, a pretty little picture. He was looking behind him all the time as he was running away. He was in fear, abject fear. But God came to visit him. Well, what I love about it, he actually... Where he slept was Bethel, which became Bethlehem. There was a day and a time that one day that God was going to birth the very embodiment of the humanity that he was going to be dwelling in, in Bethlehem. All these things that we read are so poignant for what happened in the future. But I want to show you something. I want, can I come down here, Pastor Warbington? Here we go. I can see your eyes now, look. There's something about this scripture that he had a weakness and then God took what he was sleeping on and then turned it into the strongest part of his life. 
He took a pillow and turned it into a pillar. If you read what he said, he said that he had a revelation that what God gave him, he was going to give 10% back unto God. Don't forget what he was. He was always taking, he was not a giver. But when he came back from on the run, he had to go back and he said, I want to go back to my father's house in peace. Even on the way there, the man had spent nearly 20 something years away. But he built an empire. And he came back one of the wealthiest men in the Middle East. And when he went to meet his brother, he had to make amends with his brother. He knew from that point onwards, he said, I want to go back to my father's house in peace. But he had to spend a time away and God began to work on that man. What his pillow was, he turned around and said, I am going to turn my weakest part of my life and turn it into my strongest. My pillow will become a pillar. So over the years, I began to recognise this scripture and realise in my own life, my weaknesses. Paul the Apostle said, when I'm weak, God is. Interesting, isn't it? The word there, weak, means vulnerable. The word vulnerable in the Oxford Dictionary means not to retaliate when attacked physically or verbally. So he recognised that all the things and problems that he himself, Paul, went through, he became vulnerable. So then God could be strong. So he had to deal with Paul's issues. Don't forget who Paul was. He was had to kill the church. This was no little pretty little priest coming from the Pharisees. He was given death warrants. Go and kill them. Go and arrest them. Give them to the Romans. Let them put them in the, in the, in, in the auditorium and let the lions and the bears kill them. Let them just be slaughtered. Let Nero hang them from his gardens and burn them so at night he can see his flowers. I mean, there's a reality for the church that no one even recognises. So over the years, I began to look, look at this scripture and go, wow, God is so awesome that he will take my weakness and turn it into a strength. So when I first came into the church, my pastor, he was preaching away and I was so naive and raw, and I mean raw. Wow. I said and did things then, pastor, that I can look back and go, oh my God. Raw was the word. And then the pastor's going, and you can see the miraculous of God too. And this lunatic jumps up and goes, okay, I want to. My wife wasn't even with me yet. She was still in the Roman religion. She thought I'd lost the plot. Because I never went to church and all of a sudden I'm, at, I'm the first one there and the last one to leave at my church. I used to come home from the church and she, we would meet at like Sunday lunchtime and, and I'd go, so what happened at your church today? And she'd look at me and snarl. And she'd go, okay, tell me what happened. 20 people were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, I was awesome. They were baptized. I said, the pastor dragged me up there and got me in the back. And I was baptizing people with him. It's awesome. And she'd look at me and snarl again. I didn't realize I was so zealous that I was pushing her away, not pulling her towards me. Remember those days, weren't they special? <laughs> special for me, I was a raving lunatic. I mean, I became, I became something I didn't even know I could be. 
So there I am one day realising that the men of the church that were bringing people to church and I'm like, wait, well, hang on a minute. I'm, I'm, I wasn't witnessing and I kept hearing about witnessing and I read Acts 1.8 and you'll be undoed from with power from upon high and you should be a witness unto me starting hearing in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I remember people bringing people to church. So I sat there one day and thought, well, I don't, why don't I do that? So, here's my pillow I was asleep on. And God turned my pillow into a strength, into a pillar. I began to go to the job sites. I was a builder. And I would go to my job sites, telling God, all right, I'm going to give this a go. So I'd go on the job and I'd kind of pull up and I was a new convert and I'd turn all the generators off and, and I'd look at them all and go, all right, you lads, shut up and sit down. That was, that was very pastoral. That was more of the evangelist. That was the evangelist approach. Shut up and listen to me. And they did. And then I'd say, Bible studies, who wants one? I don't know no Bible studies. I'm like, well, you don't get paid on Friday. Who wants a Bible study? I do. <laughs> so I used to ask them to come to my house or I'd go to their house. One night, my framing crew, there was eight of them. And I said, you're going to get paid Friday, but I'm going to teach you a Bible study. Or if you don't let me teach you a Bible study, you ain't getting paid. I was the boss. You can't do that. You ain't getting paid then. Okay, we'll have a Bible study. <laughs> well, this is my early days of being a, being a witness. So then one night I went to the framing crew, Big Dave, he took, he, he had the crew there and they're all lunatics. It was awesome. And then he brought his mother and his aunt to sit at this table in their house. And they were very, very staunch, charismatic believers. And they opened the Bible to John 3, 5. <laughs> oh, this is going to be interesting. Uh, unless you're born again of water and spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. I went, exactly. And they look at me like I was like, what? I said, that's, that's the message. Unless you're born again of water and spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom of God. That's the message that I've been teaching them. Well, they turn around to me and say, oh, no, no, that doesn't mean, that's nothing to do with salvation. And I looked at them and I went, hang on a minute, you've just read what Jesus told Nicodemus in the garden. Nicodemus was the head Pharisee, frightened to death of anybody knowing that he was going to see Jesus. So he went at night and Jesus gave him the actual plan of salvation. Unless you're born again of water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Well, what I didn't know, the, the framing contractor, Dave, he told one of the other, uh, other lads, Steve, he said, whoever closes their Bible is lying. I didn't know any of this. And as I sat there with my Bible open, they slammed their Bible shut. It was his own mother. They picked up the table and took it into the, like there was a, an observatory at the back of the house. They sat down and said, you are telling us the truth. Now preach it to us. These are the ones that didn't want a Bible study. So I went in the back room and I began to show them from the Scripture exactly what the plan of salvation is and was and still is. So that weekend, I take eight of these absolute raving lunatic carpenters up to the baptismal tank. This I found exciting. 
Because I God was turning my pillow where I was asleep and turning into one of my strongest parts of my walk with God. My pillow became a pillar. I didn't care who I witnessed to. I started it and I began to enjoy it. My, my, the man he would come and get all the, all the construction debris off my property. Tony is a fantastic example. I didn't really have a clue of what I was doing. Hear me. I didn't. I didn't know the Bible. I just knew there were some words in there that I needed to read. So when, when Tony would come to my house and he'd say, hey, have you got my check? And, and I'd go, you know what? I'm going I'm to do this. I'm like, Tony, I don't have the check. But I've just cleared all the lots off. And, I've given, and I said, I know. Uh, come to, you know where anti the apostolic church is? Yes. Be there at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning and I'll give you your check and, and, and we'll, be, we'll be fine. He said, the, the church? I said, yeah, yeah. So I go to the church and I tell the ushers, oh, look, there's a guy coming to see me. Send him in. You know where I sit. I sat right in the, roughly where you are. I sat right about where you are in the church. And I said, send him in. He's come for a check. This was in Annapolis, Maryland. So in he comes. Tony gets sent down to us. Stands next to me. Nudges me. And he goes, you got my check? I said, Tony, this is the house of God. You don't do business in church. I said, raise your hands with me and worship God. Said this guy standing there like this. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I, I could feel it was awesome. So I was like, you know what? I know this is right. I had to repent. So we come out of the church and he's going, he got my checkbook. He got the check. Oh, God. It was in the truck. Like where you're sitting that far away. And I went, I haven't got my checkbook on me. If you come at six o'clock tonight... I will promise you faithfully, I will have the checkbook. Man, I said, come on, Tony, you trust me. I'll be there tonight. So same scenario, six o'clock, I'm down worshipping. In comes Tony down the aisle, walks up next to me, nudges me. Tony, this is the house of God. You can't ask for business and money in here. Lift your hands to heaven. But well, this is it. And I went, you know what? I've watched my pastor now for about a year and I've seen him lay hands upon people and then they're filled with the Holy Ghost. I'm going to give this a go. This is the witness. It's awesome. So I went, looked at my hand, slapped it on the guy's forehead. No idea what I was going to say or do, but I remember listening to my pastor going, baptise them, Father, with your Spirit. Fill them to the overflow. So I'm going... Baptize him, Jesus, until he overflows. And my God, he did. He started talking in tongues. He took chairs out backwards, forwards, sideways, and I'm following around. Got my hand on his head, going, "Woo!" I got addicted to it. Everywhere I went, hey, shut up and listen to me. I've got people in Annapolis too that see me and go, "Oh God, here he comes." Being Home Depot. You lot down the aisle, listen to me. Go to my own bank. And I'll, then all the bank tellers are going away. And, and I go, stop working. Got someone to tell you. Well, I said it. And then that Sunday, up comes Melissa to church. Preachers preaching. I was like, this is awesome. Lay my hands upon the bank teller in the church. She gets the Holy Ghost, closes the surface down basically about half an hour. She was going off in tongues. I was addicted to it.
God took my pillow and turned it into a pillar. What I was weak with, He turned it into my strength. Anybody struggle with witnessing? Be honest. Ha ha. Y'all asleep. Y'all, do you hear that? You're asleep on it. Do it again. Oh, good. You still put your hands up. We're asleep. It's a pillow. It's comfortable, isn't it? Not to. Because you have to put yourself out there to do it. And then you kind of go, what are they going to think about me if I start talking about Jesus? Honestly, try it. Because if you are asleep on it, God's trying to wake you up to make your pillow your pillar. He's trying to take your weakness and make it a strength. Try it because you can, when you go, I struggle with doing it. It's because we're asleep on it. That pillow is nice and fluffy. Let somebody else be the witness. No, we're supposed to be the witness. Or every single one of us are called into the ministry. All of us are ministers of the gospel. But we want to let other people do because we don't want to put ourselves out there on the spotlight. God turned my weakness into a strength. Hallelujah, you're right. So then I go on through life and working and, and, I, and I began to read in the book. Oh, when, that, when, that, when the offering plate would come and I'd kind of just put a $5 bill or a $10 bill in there and just flick it over there and go, that's all you're getting from me. And then I began to read the Bible. I go, oh my God. And then I'm reading Malachi, for that don't put the wind up here, nothing will. How does a man rob God? In tithes and offerings. Ooh. And I'm like, God, I'm just like slinging a few bucks in there and thinking that's it. And then I began to read it properly. And it says, if you would bring to the storehouse your tithes and your offerings, test me, prove me. And if you do that, I will open up the windows of heaven and I will pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot contain. He was my weakness that God began to lead me to have a, such a strong, strong strength in giving. So I've gone from this, throwing a couple of bucks in there, going home, calculating my tithes, just like Jacob did. He had a revelation of it. And I began to give. It was awesome. Now I can say now, my business was doing about 100,000 a year. Within three years, I was doing 2 million. Okay, I began to give unto God and then the windows of heaven started to open upon us because I, the Bible says, test me and I'll prove to you what I will do. So I said, okay, I'm going to test you, God. And I did. Here I am today preaching at a pulpit in the middle of Lone Oak. Because I began to give that day, my pillow became, my weakness became a strength. Now, years later, I'd left the country and uh, they had a big conference at my home church and my pastor, Chester Wright, was talking to the church and he was like, and you get people coming in and out and going in and out. And he said, we've just lost our second uh, biggest tithe uh, giver. He's now become a missionary in England. Well, I had no idea. I didn't even if I was number 180, number 500, I'd have no idea. I just knew what I had to give. I calculated it and tried it and never looked back. 
It was that quick too. So then Dave, a guy from the church, calls me and says, Hey, John, did you know you was number two giver in the church? I said, I ain't got a clue. He said, you know, there was number one. I went, yeah, I do, Maurice. He was nearly a billionaire then. I was number two to him. And then I went, oh my God, that's incredible. I never once thought about what I was doing. I just went to the Word. I saw it and I tested God. And then within years, our business was so successful, we lived like kings and queens. It was awesome. But coming from an absolute couple of dollars, reading the Scripture, God turned my pillow, what I was asleep on, showed what I had to do, and that became one of my strongest walks with God, was to give. Give and it shall come back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over, and men will give it to your bosom. I tried it and it works. I went from living in an apartment to a 6,000 square foot house in a few years. Right now, I'm just saying this. It was my weakness. Throwing a couple of bucks in there, that'll do. It wasn't a that'll do attitude, Pastor Warbington. When God began to deal with me and let me see what He could do, I realised if I want to get from God what I want to get, I've got to give to God what God requires from me first. Because when it says, if you would come and put it into the storehouse, then I will open up the window. I have to bring it willingly and gladly to Him. When I did that, I watched God keep His Word. So He took my pillow and turned it into a pillar. Well, this was getting good. Because things in my life were getting better. Yeah, we had our struggles. I owned a business. But then it comes to a point of the miraculous reading, Mark 16, 16. If you believe and are baptised, you'll be saved. If you believe not, you shall be condemned. Well, I've been baptised, so I was happy. But then, and in my name, these signs shall follow those that believe. What does believe mean? I love studying. Persuaded. Persuaded that you can use me? Yes. If you are persuaded... And if you would see what God would do in His name, you will cast out demons in His name. You will take up anything deadly, will not harm you. I'm back to, I'm paraphrasing. You will speak with new tongues. And the last one is you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Well, I wanted to give that a go too. Greater things that I have done that you will do. Well, I want to see them then. I am not nuts. If it says it, I believed it. I went on a, a rampage praying for people. I'm going to see if it works. And my God, it does. And it did. I was praying for people in the church and they come back and go, well, that problem I had last week is now completely gone. Ooh. Like you just said this morning about the young lady. We was in, um, whatever, <laughs> Springdale on Wednesday night preaching. A young girl literally collapsed in the church. She was in the back uh, on a couch um, and parents told me a heart literally is not, not stopping, but it's so low that she just literally collapses. She'd had it for several weeks and, and, and she wanted to come back in. That was going to take her home. And then as I was preaching, I came to it. I could see her and I was like talking about the miraculous and we prayed for her. Instantly, that girl stood up. The strength came back into her body. 
I saw her Friday night. The church had a special service that we could come back and preach at. And I went back and she was at the front worshipping. And when I first saw her, she was lying on the, on, the, on the pews. She looked as white as a ghost. She was so radiant. This morning, I got a text from the pastor and she said, he said, London is completely healed. There's not one part of that disease or that ailment in her body. Why? And what was awesome, I was telling her, I said, one day, young lady, I'm going to come back to this church and I'm going to preach about the voice of God. Right, that was, that was at, let's say, 7.30 on Wednesday night. I was outside by the, by the foyer and the pastor walked up and said, Brother Hemus, he went, would you come and preach on Friday night? Would you can have a special service? Would you come back and preach? And I looked at the young girl and I went, that was quick. And I just told her, I said, I'm going to be back in this church preaching about the Word of God and the voice of God. And then he went, I feel that you need to come back and preach, preach something more than what you've just said tonight. And then that little girl looked at me and went, wow. I said, see, I told you, it's awesome, isn't it? So then I, I go to England and I've, I've, I've tried it in America and prayed for different people and things were so powerful, so wonderful. I mean, here it was, here's God again going, okay, here's your pillow, you're asleep, you're letting everybody else pray for people. It's time for you to turn your pillow into a pillar. So then we go to England and I'm, I'm, I'm out there, I'm out on a limb, I'm on our own, when you've been there. I'm out there, there's nobody around us and I'm like, well, God, I'm in the thick of it, I'm in the deep end, I've got to prove who I am around this area. And we, we started to have people come to the church, slowly but surely, and I met the Lord Mayor of the city. So the Lord Mayor comes to us and become, become good friends, dear friends to us. And then one day after a couple of years, he came to us right before we built the new building. And he, he came and he called and he said, Reverend, I need to talk to you. I said, I, I'm here, I'm at, the, I'm at the old back of the church in the office. And he went, I, I, I just, you're the only man I, I, I want to speak to. And he came and as he was coming, the Lord showed me he'd got cancer. So when he came to my office, he sat down and he began to weep. And he looked at me and he was like, Reva, I've just been given three months to live. And I looked at him and I went, okay. He said, what's it like to die? And I, I was like, I'm still breathing right now. I'm, I, I don't know, I'm... And I said, but the, but the one I've been telling you about, he's the one that died and rose again. He's the one I've been leading you to. And I said, that's the only way you're going to know what this is going to be like. And he was, Rev, I, I, I don't know what to say. Is it just like going to sleep? And I'm like, I, I said, Hugh, I, I don't know, but I've been trying to give you the, the Redeemer, the Saviour. I've been telling you to come to the church for a couple of years and you're stuck in that Roman religion. And he's sitting there and I went, Wow, and it came over me so powerful. And I pointed at him and I went, you will not die of this disease. But this man looked at me and I knew he was going to go, I've just been given three months to live. And as he got up to tell me, he leapt off the seat and began to shout. And he went, something has just come off my body. Something's come out of me, Rev. And I'm looking at him going, that's awesome. He was bouncing up and down and all over the building. My wife came into my office and he grabbed all and he was dancing with her, picking her up and dancing and bouncing. And he was going, Sherry, something's just come off my body. And he shot out the door. And I'm like, hey, I've never seen him. 
Two days later, I'm pouring concrete footings at the back. Remember the kitchen at the church? I was building the kitchen. And I'm in the footings and the concrete's coming. And my phone's ringing. And a young man picks the phone up. And he was like, Pastor, it's, it's you. I said, tell him I'm calling back. i got concrete between your feet here. And he went, I'm not telling him, no. He's screaming at me to put you on the phone. So I was like, Hugh. I said, i got concrete. He went, I'll be quiet. He said, I'm at the oncologist. The same man that told me I was going to die in three months is sending me home to live. He said, I cannot find stage four melanoma cancer anywhere in your body. Nothing. It's gone. And I'm telling you this. You talk about a pillow to a pillar. I became a praying lunatic like a machine. Anybody got a problem? I'll pray for them. Because I'd seen that man jump up and down, crazy dude, telling me, it's left, it's come out of my body. And I'm sitting there going, that's awesome. But it's supposed to. That's supposed to happen. So my pillow became a pillar. It became so real. There was a gentleman that died on us. And this is good stuff. In Jesus' world. I got a phone call. Pastor, our dad is having an aneurysm burst and, and he's having a heart attack. And the doctor just said, call the family. He's, got, he's not got long to live. And I just baptised him the week before. Old gentleman, older gentleman. I shoot down to Liverpool Hospital. I get to the room and I see the doctor. And I'm like, Doc, what's going on? He said, who are you? I said, I'm the pastor of the church his wife and daughters go to. And he went, come with me. And I walk with him. He said, the aneurysm's burst. He's bleeding out. He's going to die from that. He said, but he's having a heart attack at the same time. And I said, I can't touch either or. I touch the one, he dies. He touch the other one, he dies. He said, he's got a minute, two minutes left. And he said, go and tell the family, say the last goodbyes. And that's all we can do for him. And I turned round and I went, that's your opinion. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> And he looked at me and went, what? I said, I'm going to go and pray for him. And he went, please do. I go back to the room and the nurse has laid him down. The blood's coming out of his face and his, his wife is sitting there crying, holding his hand. His daughter's sit, just standing there going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I'm like, hold on a second. And I said to the nurse and I look up. He was flatlined. It was just a boo. And I went, oh my God, here we go. Talking about turning your pillow into a pillar. I went, nurse, can you get out the way? She said, what are you going to do? I'm going to pray for him. She was like, pray for him, he's dead. I went, get out the way. And I lay my hands upon that man's chest. Nothing, nothing. There was no you know, lights and neon and big arrows going down. And I just walked up to him and I laid my hand upon his chest. And I said, Jesus, I speak life back into Stan's body. In your great name, Jesus, I pray. Well, he was dead. And all of a sudden, the man opened his eyes. Well, when somebody who's dead opens their eyes and looks at you, it freaks you out, to be honest with you. I mean, I jumped back through the curtains Hey! Oh gosh! Wow! And I went, hey! And I went back in, I went, he's alive! And then he went, you just prayed for me. I'm like, yes, I did! Wow! 
And he was, oh God, this is awesome. And then he went, I was standing with Jesus. Whoa. I'm like, really? And he went, and we heard you pray. And when you said his name, he sent me back. And then I opened my eyes and you're standing over my body. The nurse is freaking. So was I. Then I went, that's supposed to be like that. This is, this is awesome. And the nurse went, get the doctor. The doctor comes back, looks at him and apparently he said, Give us the records. They tried his heart. He wasn't having a heart attack. The heart, he didn't even recognise he'd had a heart attack. And they took him down to theatre, cut him open and take, took the aneurysm and put the thing back together again. The man had died. You talk about turning your pillow into a pillar. Oh my gosh. That became this stanchion that could hold anything up. My pillow was now a pillar. So from giving and, and, and the, the weakness there became a strength. And praying for the miraculous, the weakness there became a strength. It was awesome. I've got so many miraculous stories. How long you got? Oh man, I'm talking about we can be here for days. I mean, I'll be crawling on the floor needing sleep. But it's been, an, it's been an awesome, awesome walk with God. The experiences are phenomenal. But then I say this to you. It's for all of us to see. It's for all of us to be involved in. It's for all of us to be the witness. It's for all of us to pray for the sick. It's for all of us to give and build the church. And here I was, running, blowing and going and it was just fantastic and things were just miraculous and tumours were disappearing and, and, and people that we had, that we had senators come to the church and sit on the front row and I'm going, called members of parliament. I never forget looking at them going, you don't get this in the houses of parliament, do you? And we were singing friend of God. And these members of parliament are at the front. I'm a friend of God. And I'm going, this is great, Jesus. It gives you such a powerful passion to continue because it doesn't matter who they are. How can I sit with the Prime Minister? Are we, are we streaming? Hallelujah. I can say what I want to say. How can I sit with the Prime Minister of Israel? And the man asked me, what do you believe? I'm sitting with King Hezekiah, basically of Israel. And I said, sir, we believe in the God of Israel, Yeshua. We worship Him. The one God of Israel, Shemar Israel Adonai. Elohenu Adonai Echad. Well, I spoke in Hebrew. He took what I said and looked at me and he said, I will back you 100%. I am behind you 100% what you do in Israel. I've got a ticket from King Bibi that I can go in and out of that nation whenever me and my wife want to. How? Jesus. That has been building for years. And I could see this, Pastor Warmington. I could see God over the years pushing me, testing me getting one day to be in the presence of the Prime Minister of the nation of Israel and tell him who we are. I told him about you. I said, you understand there are millions of us 
Millions that believe in Yeshua. Millions of us that do not believe that God is three separate people, coexistent, co-eternal, with separate thoughts, feelings, and emotions. There's one God, different administrations. He, he was Father in creation, Son in, 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 in redemption, and Spirit in regeneration. There's one God. And that man looked at me, and that's when he went, I will never forget your name. That's what I said, I won't forget your name either. But how did I get there? It was the pillows being turned into pillars from weaknesses to strength. And he got me to a place. He knew my strength would not buckle when I stood in front of the King of Israel, the Prime Minister of Israel. He built me to it. He kept showing me and he kept leading me. And I got to the point, Paul the Apostle sat with King Agrippa. Any one of us can be built to the point where God can trust us speaking to the hierarchy of this nation. I'd love to see your poor president first and foremost to pray for him and tell him the errors of his life. But to be praying for him and then putting him under the waters in, in, in Jesus' name for the remission of his sins, wouldn't that be a thing? <laughs> I know, yeah. So there'll come a day and a time, and I've been a preacher for, gosh, a long time. <laughs> and the Lord began to deal with me about one more weakness. Yeah, I've got plenty of weaknesses. But he began to show me something. One day I was praying in my basement, and I was praying for my family, and I was quite fervent in my prayer. I have now baptised my, my father, mother, uh, no, I pray my mother through. She passed before we baptised her. Uh, my brothers, I cast a devil out. My second brother, Mark, in his front room, who now is a pastor of a church in the middle of England. My older brother. I used to call out their names. Such fervency. Jesus, don't let my family be lost. And I would pound in front of my fireplace, just backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards. And the one night... I kind of threw my father's name in there for good measure. And the Lord stopped me in my tracks. Why are you in my kingdom? And I heard it so clearly. And I stopped and I went because of a prayer. And who did you pray about? My dad was a very tough man. My dad was a hard man. Didn't know how to love us. He was raised through the Second World War. He was raised in a very, very poor, poverty-stricken area. They evacuated the children and put them out in the fields when the Germans were bombing Great Britain. My dad was about 11 years of age and his little brother was about eight. And his little brother out in the fields one day got run over by a truck and he died in my dad's arms. My dad was about 11. My dad couldn't save him. He was, he, I never forget, he did tell me the story. He never spoke much about it, but he, he, he was screaming at the driver for, to drive away and he couldn't hear him. And his last breath was in his arms at the age of 11. So he ran off into the fields and, and he began to feed himself carrots and turnips and he even milked the cows. He was a little boy basically, broken. And they caught him and they found him and they put him in an orphanage. <clears throat> and the orphanage is where all the families of the children who had lost parents in the war were, were housed. But the problem was the people that run these orphanages were wicked. And they abused the children. My dad was one of them. They used to beat them, sometimes uncontrollably. <sighs> My dad didn't know what love was. He didn't know how to love us. He knew how to correct us. 
He was an ex-boxer. He knew how to correct us. But he didn't know what love was because he never had it himself. So there I am praying and I kind of threw his name out there and, and the Lord stopped me and he, why are you in my kingdom? And I said, because of a prayer. And who did you pray about? And this is what I'd said. I had my two-year-old son, Matthew, and I placed Matthew on his bed. And I'm like, God, if you are real, I cannot be a father to my son like my father was to me. If you really would take me to where you are, I would never leave. Within weeks, and I don't have to go into my testimony, but within weeks I was at a timber yard, a lumber yard, and a man walked up and said, I need a picky, uh, a good builder for a picky customer. I ended up going to a man's house that today, 33 years later, is one of my dearest friends. But the issue was that I had something still deep resentment and, and even a hate, if you want to say that. It was so deep inside of me because of all the years that that man had hurt. And when the Lord began to show me, if your father hadn't have treated you like he treated you, you wouldn't have prayed that prayer. Now give, give thanks for the way he treated you because you wouldn't be in my kingdom today. It didn't make sense for a few minutes, but then it hit me. If he hadn't have been that way, would I have prayed that prayer? Would I be where I am today? So then I began to thank God for my father. I began to say, God, thank you for the way he was towards me. Because if he wasn't that way, if that hurt wasn't in me, I wouldn't have called out to you that I wouldn't be a father to my son like he was to me. And then God began to deal with me about forgiveness towards him. Now I'm preacher, I'm a licensed miserer at the time, and it was deep. I hope somebody in here is listening. I began to go back and forth to England, and my wife would go with me, and I'd never hugged him. This is how, this is how the relationship was with all of us. And I would shake hands very, very coldly, very at a distance, and how are you doing, Dad? And one day she went, hug your father. And I don't know what to do. I never hugged him before. So I went to hug him and he was uncomfortable, but we never really hugged, so we didn't know where to put our heads. When we headbutted each other, poof. And then I went, oh, I've been waiting to do that for years. And then I hugged him. And I said, I love you, Dad. He couldn't speak. He just completely couldn't say anything to me. I left and I walked away and I went, well, I did it. And over the last uh, the year or two, I, I would call him and speak at home and, and I'd put the phone down and go, love you, Dad. And he couldn't say it. And I wore him out. Because one day, he just went, I love you too, son. And I went, oh my God, I'd never heard that before. Then the time came for us to go back to England. And I've been working on him. My whole family's now baptised and filled with the Holy Ghost, all in different churches. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was awesome. It was powerful. The, the, the grandkids and everybody else. And I went to a conference in 2002, 2003. And my brother invited my father. We're up in Liverpool. He was down in, in the Midlands with my dad in Birmingham. And it was an altar call. And my wife was across the other side of the altar and I'm kind of praying for people like I did. I love praying for people because I like to see the miraculous. It was wonderful. And I'm standing there and I could see my wife going, come here. 
And when she says, come here, I run. <laughs> I ran out. I sprinted over. I got there and my dad was standing there. And the music was playing and I went, Dad, I want to pray for you. And that look, the angry, hateful darkness came over his face. And I knew that look so well. And I knew what was going to happen next. But then I went, Satan, that's my father. You've had him for 74 years. Tonight you lose him. He will enter into the kingdom of God. His face went, he went backwards and he looked up and he went, son, I need to say something. Totally changed his face. I stepped back, he said, before you pray, I need to say something. And my dad and we had myself and my brother and my sister and the grandchildren, my wife and my brother's wife and we're all around him and I'm, I got my hand about right to pray for him. And he put his hands to heaven and he went, Jesus, forgive me for what I did to my children. And as I slid down my father and got my head down, I kept my hand on his chest and I'm weeping and my brother Mark is over the top of me going, John, oh my God. And I look around and the kids are crying and praying for him. And then I felt this on my head. Someone tapping me on the head and I look up and I have never, ever seen my father weep. Ever, never even seen, I don't ever think a tear in his eye. And as I'm looking up, tears are flooding down his cheeks, dropping off his chin onto me. And then I listen and I could hear tongues of heaven flowing through that man's mouth. Like he'd been praying in tongues for 30 years. And I watched the hardness of our heart melt as God began to love him. God was forgiving him because he asked him, God, forgive me for what I did to my children. And God was forgiving him and loving him and giving him his peace and his joy. And the tears were flooding out of his face. And I stood up and I put my arm around him. He couldn't even speak English. He was just talking. He's fantastic. A tie was around. The, his hair was in the air. His jacket was on the floor. He was a mess. A Holy Ghost mess. And I put my arm around him. And I'm like, come on, Dad. And I started to walk out the building. And the Lord so gracefully came up next to us and said, if you hadn't have forgiven him, it wouldn't have been you praying for him tonight. <laughs> I had to forgive Somebody that hurt me more than anybody else. By the time it come to that point there, I had nothing against him whatsoever. Could I? Did I? Did I have the, the, the reason to? Yes, I did. But he was a soul, a broken soul, a broken individual that Jesus just wanted to love him too and show him through me that this is the love of God. This is how you forgive. I still had the resentment and I didn't realise it. I still had the anger towards him. I mean, being a little boy and you can remember the days of the harsh words and the things that were happening in those days. It was tough. It was hard and he moulded me in my life and all of a sudden I'm in the kingdom of God and and God's melting my heart to be able to love Him. But if I hadn't have forgiven Him, it wouldn't have been me 
laying hands upon that man and for God then to give him salvation to and fill him with his spirit. And I'm going to leave you with this. There are so many of us even sitting in here tonight. Things are so deep. Things get washed over. We don't particularly want to deal with some things in our life because it's a pillow. And we get used to resentment. We can go back and look at times and places and people, what they've said and done to us. And that place we don't want to revisit, even though God has forgiven us and God has loved us to the point that His Spirit is in us and we speak in that heavenly language and, 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 and it, we know you feel the love of God. But there are things in our heart and I began to realise that that resentment I was asleep on. Those ill feelings towards my father, I was a pillow. I was asleep on I didn't want to touch that. Until he wanted to turn my weakness into a strength. He wanted to turn my bitterness into forgiveness. He wanted to turn my anger into love. For the man that hurt me more than anybody else. Would you stand with me this evening? I started with the scripture. And what we don't realise. That this is the house of God. And he said, I knew it not. And he said, this is the gate to heaven. And he watched the angels ascend and descend. While we've been here tonight, God is observing us in this building. Don't ever, ever think coming to church is just a half-hearted approach. This is the house of God and this is where the angels of God will come, ascend and descend. They will come and give you blessings and healing and love and salvation from the, from the throne room. And the angels are there waiting to take all the hurts and the sorrow and the deep hurts back onto the one that says, cast your cares and your burdens upon the one that cares for you. And the angels have been here all night. They're just waiting for you to come and release. Here is the gate to heaven. And here are the angels waiting to take the years and the years of things that have held us back and held us down. And the, th the thoughts of I can't do this and God can't use me. He wants to turn all these weaknesses into your strength. He wants to take all of those pillows and turn them into pillars. Would you come out of your seats this evening? There are angels of God in this building waiting for us to come and cast those years, cast those years of resentment, cast that brokenness still into the hands of the angels of heaven and they will take it and carry it back to Him. And He's here to give the forgiveness and the love and the peace and the joy that we so much need yes, if you would just lift your heart to God and let the angels of heaven that are ascending and descending come into the gate of heaven let him take the years and all the sorrow and all the problems the situations the circumstances the people that have hurt us God let us forgive that tonight let us forgive them Release them. Let the angels take this from you. Lift up your voice in this sanctuary. This is none other but the house of God. 
Come on, men. Come on, women. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Release unto God. Give him that resentment. Give him that hate. Give him the anger. Give him the bitterness. Let it go. Let it go. The word forgive means to let go and release. Come on, church. Dig deep into your soul. Hallelujah. Let God go deep into that soul. Let Him show you where your weakness is. And let Him take those things and replux that with the strength, with His love and His peace and His kindness. He wants to heal the brokenhearted. Hurt people, hurt people. But heal people, heal people. Broken people, break people. But heal people, heal people. No more broken heart, God. No more doubt. No more confusion. Take it from me, Jesus. I've carried it for so long, for so many years. Take it from me. Here is the gate of heaven. The angels are ascending and descending in the house of God. Come on, lift up your voice. Lift up your heart, God. He 